you know, and I, you know, people quote Revelations 12, 22, 12, and says, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be, which means that whatever you do, you don't obey his word. You go in your own way. You're not going to end up in heaven. You're not going to end up, you know, and you're considered to be wicked. I know that sounds harsh, but that's what the Lord means. You know, if you, it, it, it's real black and white. It, it, you can't be disobedient to the Lord and not be considered wicked. Right, because he said in Hebrews in the 12th chapter, 6 verses, it's for whom the Lord loves, he, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Lord chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards, not sons. Mm -hmm. So, um, this question was sent to me from someone who is on a website called Bible Ask. And in the answer, in the article, it says, Our Lord made it clear that everyone would be reserved in their graves until called forth in the resurrection to receive either life or damnation. But if you die, if you, if you die without having the Lord, without repenting, without salvation, you don't have another chance after that. You don't have another chance. You, you're reserved in your grave, right, and you're called forth before the Lord in judgment. And so it's just like a tree that falls. It's, it's uh, dried up and it falls. It, it's dead. It's, it's no more. It doesn't, it can't be revived. And you can't be revived spiritually after you die. Right, after that window or door of opportunity is closed, it's closed. That's why as long as the, you have breath, your blood is running in your veins, you, you, you're you upright and... You got a chance, and living dogs better than a dead lion. Above ground, you know, you, you have an opportunity to change your ways. Even if it's on your deathbed, even if it's, you know, you're about to... Breathe your last breath. You still have a chance, but you know what usually happens is that when people reach that point, it's rare that they change. You know, I actually used to think that if a person was facing death and they're facing perdition and the inevitable is coming, they would just come to their senses and just humble themselves before God. But I've seen people on their deathbed. They are more bitter then than they were when they were home, you know, as far as the natural, the physical body. So, you know, I wouldn't wait for deathbed salvation because usually if a person has rejected the Lord all their life, towards the end, they also like to become more stubborn. Now, I can understand how people feel because if you have children of your own and they're going in the wrong way, they're out out there, they're getting arrested, they're doing drugs, they're uh, dr drinking alcohol to excess, they're stealing, they're, whatever it is that they're doing. They're not, they're not in church, they're not being obedient to the Lord. 
I can understand how parents feel about their children. They love them. They do love them. And they're not going to say they're not my children. But with the Lord, it, you're not his child unless you're obedient. Right, but that makes you his child. See, I call, this is what I call spiritual DNA. How do you know you're a child of the Lord? Because you have his spiritual DNA. You have the Holy Spirit. So that makes you the Lord's child. It's the same way naturally so. When a person does a DNA test, there are certain genes and genetic markers that say this is your father, mother, and, and this is your child. Well, it's the same way spiritually. There are spiritual markers that identify you as being a child of God. And without the Holy Spirit, the Lord does not regard you as his, as his child. He regards you as his, the soul that belongs to him, but not as his child. And he grieves over it, just like you would grieve over your own child. But um, I can understand a parent is sad, too, when their child goes the wrong way. But um, is happy when they turn around and come back home and do the right thing, you know. So, all right. I, there's another question that someone sent me. And it, it says, uh, what does the Bible say? about near-death experiences and should we believe the reports of uh, afterlife from people who have had near-death experiences? And they, and they say they've seen a glimpse of heaven or they've been to heaven or they've been to hell. I think you take it with a grain of salt. I don't just out and out dismiss it, but there are some things that when people say they've had a near-death experience and they come back and say what they've experienced, it's contrary to the word of God. Like one person brought me something and said that uh, the experience that they had, if it was near death or vision, he said that they were all standing in line before the judgment seat. And the Lord said to one, you know, that I guess you'd be at the right hand. And then he said to the other, you know, that they didn't make it in. And all of a sudden something just snatched them and, and took them down into perdition. And I'm saying um, that experience, and then he got there, the Lord told him that he just made it in or he barely made it in or something to that effect. But I'm saying that experience, what he saw, that was meant for him. Uh, the only reason why when you compare it to the scriptures is that you have a first resurrection and a second resurrection. Saints have no part in the second resurrection and those who are in the second resurrection have no part in the first resurrection so what he was describing was like a mixture of the first and second resurrection together so but that was for him because the Lord was letting him know that he had to come up because he discovered from that particular vision his problem was he had a he, he couldn't forgive he held grudges he held things against people and because he was unforgiving it was affecting his status as far as salvation. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't see those things in the vision, but to say this is what the day of judgment is, that, is exactly like, I, I can't say that. You know, but if the person really wants to know, as far as they can know of anything, they have to go to the Word of God, because different people explain different things in different ways. Well, I think a lot of people 
use 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 2 to 5 as a biblical proof of near-death experiences. Yes, and it reads, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. All right, but that's not a near-death experience. No, I think that's a vision, isn't it? Right. That's different. They're talking about people who actually... Uh, I guess like they flatlined on an operating table or whatever mm -hmm. and said that they, they went and they saw heaven. I remember my grandfather, uh, he actually died. And so, uh, and I remember my mother telling them they had pronounced him dead. They had put the sheet over his face. They had pushed him to a separate room and left him. And they called and said that he had gone off. And she told my aunt to go in there and lay hands on him. And she said, but he's dead. They pronounced him dead. She said, I don't care. She said, go in there and lay hands on him and pray for him. And so she went into the room and she laid hands and she prayed for him. And the Lord revived my grandfather. I wanted to know, was, did he see a light? Did he see this? He said, no, nothing. He said, you know, he couldn't recall anything. It was just like nothing. You know, so... When people say, well, they saw this light, or they saw this, or they went here, and they, he, he said, you know, he did. Now, I'm not saying that other people haven't experienced seeing a light, but for them to actually say, well, near-death experiences that, you know, most people describe it, they've they seen the light, they've seen the door. You know, he said no. So the Bible, I don't, I'm, I'm still looking, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible I, I, where somebody right. died, went, and then came back to explain to the people what they saw. I, I, I haven't seen that in the scriptures. I mean, I, I remember reading uh, about the man who was in hell, or he, he died, and he wanted someone sent to the rest of his family to tell them, you know, tell them so they change their ways. But that definitely wasn't a near-death experience. He was already dead and right. gone in the wrong place. Right. And he wanted the rest of his family to be saved and... Well, he wanted them to avoid coming there, but not necessarily saved. And see, that's the thing. I call that the Esau uh, religion. They don't necessarily love the Lord. They just don't want to suffer the consequences. And he didn't necessarily want his family to, to yield themselves to God. He just didn't want them to come to where he was. And wasn't it wasn't it Abraham or, or somebody that was talking to him and said, Well, you have all these prophets. You have all these people telling you about the Lord. Uh, you witness things for yourself. And if someone came from hell to tell them about it, 
what makes you think that they will believe it if they right. if they didn't believe the people right here and now telling right or if a saint came uh, from the dead to tell them and, and how do we know that's true it's most certainly true that even if a saint returned from death to tell them there's hope for you you know this is the way you should go how do you know that people still won't yield they don't listen now right how do you know that they won't yield because it's been done how do you know because Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus tells them the same thing and people don't yield so they don't believe the prophets neither do they believe one that has come back from the dead so that's how people are they're going to do what they want to do either you love the truth you have a thirst for the truth and you embrace it or you reject and you believe a lie now you know the Bible is silent uh, as far as I can tell about near-death experiences and scientific research hasn't done anything to convince us or to convince them. There is no <laughs> So we can't, you know, so you can't, you just have to take it at face value. Now, it's not impossible for God to give someone right. a near-death experience but you have to know the, the or among you. a vision of heaven or or hell or or the suffering but you have to know them that labor among you you have to know that the person who's carrying the report is 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 worthy is faithful is truthful because people can tell you anything and, and satan takes advantage of those situations literally to tell people anything mm -hmm. that's true that's true so here's another question. Why does First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 verses 27 to 28 Why does First Corinthians 15 say that Jesus is subject to God if he is God? Yes. The Bible reads for he hath put all things under his feet but when he said all things are put under him it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him and when all things shall be subdued unto him then shall the son of son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that god may be all in all Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? He said, this goes to the resurrection. And so what people don't understand is that by Christ being the sacrifice, the Son being the sacrifice, being the the, the high priest that intercedes between us and God. The Lord has done this. Everything born of a woman, everything that comes into this world born of a woman has to be subject to the higher power. Has to be subject to the higher power of God. So even the Lord Jesus himself, as the Son, made himself subject to the higher power. And what did he do this for? So that he could be the firstborn from the dead. He is our firstborn in the resurrection. Now, if he wasn't 
subject. And then therefore, when you rise from the dead, none of us will be able to rise from the dead. So he made everything complete in him. It's a full circle so that we all have a chance to rise in the first resurrection and to be translated. And therefore, he stands as a mediator forever, a mediator forever between us and, and the Lord God himself. So the Lord, when people look at him as far as being the son, they have to realize what is the role of the son. The role of the son is to become our sacrifice. The role of the son is to become the mediator. The role of the son is to become the firstborn as far as the resurrection. So he, everything, there is not a thing that is born a woman or born in this world that is not subject unto the higher power of God. Even the Lord God himself. He said, I couldn't swear by any greater, so I swore by myself. Mm. There is none greater than God. Therefore, he became subject unto himself. But he did that role as a son so that we would have a chance to rise again. So it all goes back to the resurrection. And that's what it was for. So everything is complete. If he hadn't done it, it would be incomplete. If he hadn't subjected himself unto the Lord and rose again, we would be incomplete. So by him doing that, everything is completed. It's finished. When he said, it's finished, it's done. So when he has risen, we can rise. Because he is the firstborn, we can rise. That's good news. Now I want to uh, go to some current events. Um, this came off of HelloChristian.com, and Netflix premiered recently a new uh, reality TV program, which is pretty dark. It's called The Push, and it's a special that's just over an hour, and it shows a UK mentalist magician and a TV star trying to convince someone to kill another person. And I guess the program wants to know, you know, the whole premise of the program is, can we be manipulated by social pressure to commit murder? And so it made its uh, original debut in the UK in 2016 and now within the last uh, it debuted here on Netflix in February so a lot of the Netflix users were disturbed by the show's premise when the trailer came out um, and they were questioning is this really real and that the show is very real but the murder is not so what they wanted to do is not actually get people to go out and murder someone they wanted to see if it was possible to convince someone to murder another person and if well, so how would they, what they, lengths how would they know that they had convinced the person unless the person even though the murder itself isn't real unless the person went and carried out an act that they thought was real see i think it was like they're splitting hairs so they're saying well there's no actual murder that takes place. The only reason why it's not actually taking place is because they have staged it so that it can't happen. But the person who's committing the act thinks that they're committing, I believe, an actual murder. And that's crazy. 
and that's traumatic, I believe. I believe that's traumatic for the person right. himself. If, yeah. if you realize that you can be convinced and you really believe that that's what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, we, that has a lot of psychological effects. Uh, yes, just like the people when they made the experiment, like when they tell you that uh, power, you know, total power, yeah. it corrupts totally. So when they had the experiment of, of taking the people and, and imprisoning them, and they made certain ones guards and certain ones were made the prisoners, and the people became abusive. I mean, this one person, he was, he was a pacifist. But when they got through with that experiment. It just destroyed every concept that he had about uh, peace and brotherly love. And because within himself, he found he was a sadist and he was cruel and he was unforgiving. So a lot of people walked away from that experiment scarred. And I think that's what will happen, you know, although that question was brought up by someone to uh, the person who um, came up with this program. And, um, or the TV star, Brown, who, uh, you know, and, and they were saying that it has psychological effects. And, and within five minutes of the ending happening, they were saying, uh, oh, they were fine. They were fine. Nothing happened. But, you know, I don't believe that. I believe yeah. that after you go home and you're left to yourself, I can only imagine, you know, never say never. You just don't know what you would do in a situation. Unless, unless you have the Lord. So I'm, I'm thinking, uh, the individual probably goes away thinking, if they're relying on themselves, that yes, they could kill. Right. Look at the world today. Yes. Praise the Lord and let everything that have breath praise the Lord. This week's verse of the day comes from Isaiah 65 and 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Ain't God all right? God is all right. Praise the Lord and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Last week's food for thought was all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew what about Samuel? And the answer is that he was a prophet of the Lord. And this can be found in 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 20, which reads, And all of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be the prophet of the Lord. This week's food for thought is, A wise man is what, and what happens to a man of knowledge? Hint, the Bible, and that's food for thought.